0: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by AwesomeDice.com, the most awesome place to get dice, and listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, and for being patrons at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff
1: Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 346, we're going to keep fighting, evil or good whatever after we beat the big bad villain
0: and joining us for this episode are two fantastic guests first up coming at us from across the pond a designer who's written a few campaigns that end at level 12 so we brought him here to ask him uh okay so we finished your story what do we do next uh welcome back josh aka JVC perry
2: Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I need to fill in those blanks, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're
0: going to put your feet to the fire. <laughs> uh, also joining us on, on this show is the nicest man in the gaming community, the host of the Down With D&D podcast, sometime writer for Wizards of the Coast, including a lot of Adventures League adventures, and a relatively recently announced game designer for Ghostfire Gaming, Sean Merwin. Welcome back.
3: Hey, thank you for having me, Tracy. Jeff, great to talk to you again. Josh, great to see you, even though I'm sure we've emailed a few times.
1: <laughs> awesome. Uh, and I'd like to take this opportunity to remind folks that if you'd like to see Tom Show recordings live and unedited, you can watch us record at twitch.tv slash Tome Show or later on YouTube. And also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Discord. And don't forget that this episode of Tome Show is brought to you with the support of AwesomeDice.com. Not only are they sellers of some cool dice, but they also offer a subscription box. You can choose to have a new box of dice delivered to you anywhere from once a month to three times a month. Each box is curated selection of dice worth $30 to $35 for the cost of $29 to you. Check them out at AwesomeDice.com and be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you.
0: And I should correct that because I wrote the script that Tracy just read. It's not three times a month. It's once a month to every three months. Ah. <laughs> Which is a very different thing, but that's okay. What if Our, you want it three times a month? I mean, yeah. I guess you can yeah. get three different subscriptions. Uh, well, there you go. But, but I think they only do one curated set per month, so. Uh. Look, if you're going to roll dice, you're going to need precision. Awesome Dice.com has shop Edge dice for a fraction of the price of other such precision dice sellers. Chill out, my man. Oh. Hello, Bard. Please, share your bardic inspiration about dice. Yeah. I've got bardic inspiration, Dice. It's this totally mellow, cannabis theme set with smoky interior. Exclusively available at AwesomeDice.com. I well, precision, Bardic inspiration, or one of countless other unique dice sets. It seems you can get it all at the most awesome dice company on the internet, awesomedice.com. And don't forget to let them know, the Tome Show sends you dudes. Alright, so the topic today, I want to start off by... by sharing an, a little bit of an email that I got uh from listener Sam Thompson out of Asheville North Carolina um Sam d- describes that they're a relatively new dm and have been consuming a lot of DD content and they're really into it uh but notes notes that all of the wizards published adventures tend to end around level 12 um they describe that they're currently running – it seems like they're running uh, Rime of the Frostmaiden and they're like, my players, there's no way they're going to be ready to give up on these characters at the end of Rime of the Frostmaiden. What do you do, right? Uh, he says that he sees a couple different options in, in that you t- run the adventure and then you sort of cobble together some modules and homebrew stuff to to go through the next – eight levels uh or that you um let's see cobble together some modules and homebrew stuff together at the same time and sort of stretch it out over more levels um those are the options that that they describe um imagining but is curious you know what some experienced players and dms think about what do you do and and it's actually it's it's timely that um that I got that email from him because it occurred to me independently around the same time that like, yeah, the wizards adventures with the exception of what dungeon of the mad mage, Mm -hmm. um, which I continue to contend isn't really an adventure. It's, it's an, it's a location where adventures happen, but that's, uh, you know, (laughs) me splitting hairs. Um, other than that one, none of them really go beyond level 12. Um, and that seems to be sort of the norm, right? Is that levels one through 12 is the norm for uh, D&D, published D&D adventures. Um, even outside of WotC, we, we gave Josh a hard time in, in your intro, but you've written a couple of big uh, campaigns, yeah. right? And they they both go one through 12. Yeah.
2: Um, yep. th-
0: and that seems to be the standard. Um, and I would, and, and as I was talking about before we started recording, I even find that, most of them don't really, um, not yours specifically, Josh, but think of the Watsi <laughs> adventures. Um, don't a lot of them don't really come to what I would call a, a very satisfying conclusion to a campaign, right? Um, you know, they they come to an end. They that that arc of the campaign comes to an end, but doesn't feel like a very satisfying ending for those characters. With a few like. Descent into Avernus, if it ends one specific way, sort of has a satisfying conclusion to, to, for the characters and for the story, right? Um, Tyranny of Dragons kind of comes to a, a, a satisfactory end. But most of the adventures, even the really good ones, don't feel like they come to a real strong, sort of satisfactory end. So, what do you do? Well, you know, you've, run the, you've run the published adventure, you want to keep going what do you do uh, and i'm going to start off by by uh, opening it up to, to y'all i've talked way too much as we've gotten started so what do you th- what do you all think before i you know throw in some guiding questions
2: what can you do well i think um, i th- i think we could start about talking about why do we think maybe they do they do finish there um, i think at least from a design perspective there's there's probably a, a real broad swathe of reasons, um, but certainly for me when I'm writing, um, a lot of it is that kind of the challenges that are provided for us to use, at least on the DMs Guild, through things like the OGL, um, they're geared towards that, those middle two tiers, tier two and tier three. Um, when you look at magic items and monsters and that kind of stuff, that the high CR and the real legendary items are, are a lot rarer, I, I think, by design. And so it, it's kind of harder to design at that high level, um, not least as well because balancing encounters at that, at that level is really tough, right? So in the early levels, it's kind of a bit wonky. You know, characters not got much HP. It could go either way, especially, you know, you want to throw out an interesting encounter, so you don't just want to have a couple of goblins every time. So you want to design something that's intriguing and involves all the, the pillars of play, but really at, at low levels, that's that's difficult to do. In those middle tiers, you've got a bit more leeway. Characters are more versatile. Um, Their kind of abilities are working together uh, in a more cohesive way. And so it's, it's easier to, to design encounters, basically. It's when you get to those really high levels that all of a sudden, you know, especially if we're talking about ninth level spells, once you've once you've unlocked those, it's everything's kind of out of the bag, you know. You can you can't predict at all. So I think to some extent the reason why we see campaigns finishing around around twelfth, you know, I, I tried to stretch some of my work to fifteenth, but especially you know, sixteen and above is, is really difficult to design for in a uh calculated way, I would say. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I and I uh and uh Evil John in the chat also points out that I think it was Tyranny of Dragon uh also goes up to about fifteenth ish. Um <laughs> Which yeah. which makes some yeah. sense, but yeah, and and you hear a lot. You'll, I mean, you've hear, heard a lot from Watsi about how v- most players don't play up until those higher levels, which is a bit of a chicken and the egg thing, right? You know, yeah. players don't play there, so we don't design adventures there. But of course, nobody's going to play there because there's no adventures <laughs> to run there. Uh, you know, and I recognize that for small smaller publishers or, or an independent publisher like like you, Josh, that's a particular issue that that is limiting. Uh, but Wizards of the Coast, like. They designed the game. If anybody should be able to design adventures to 20th level, um, it's them. So I'm I mean – and this isn't a review of the design process, but I'm not exactly willing to let them off the hook. But either (laughs) way (laughs) – so, Sean, you were going to say something?
3: Well, uh, the the first three published – the first three long-published adventures, Tyranny of Dragons, Elemental Evil, and uh, Rage of Demons all went to to 15th level. And I – I believe Wizards of the Coast when they say there really isn't a market for higher level adventures. I think that bears out on the DM's Guild sales um, for from people who've written high level adventures, thinking there are no high level adventures out there. I'm going to corner the market on high level adventures, and then they publish one, and they get you know a quarter of the sales that they would for their low level adventures. So I, I think that that does bear out. It also bears out in my experience uh, over the editions and I've said it at for AD&D and 2nd edition and 3rd edition and 4th edition and now 5th edition, uh, high-level D&D is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really is. Uh, because by the time you get those characters to to the Tier 4 now, or even Tier 3, depending on how you run your campaign as a DM, you could have power variations in those groups that are incredibly wide. If you run a low magic campaign those high level monsters in the monster manual will wipe a party out easily. If you run a campaign where you let your players basically pick their magic items and handpick all of their, uh, abilities from various source books, they will be able to wipe out a high CR monster in two rounds. And there is no way as an adventure designer to take that into account. Um, even trying to go for some middle ground, you end up pleasing no one. (laughs) And, uh, so that's why I think that wizards by choice also doesn't want to highlight that sort of disparity because it doesn't speak well to design. Not that they designed it poorly, but what's the thing that got play tested least high level abilities. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, just by the design process itself, it's hard to to make that work.
1: And then yeah, and a lot of that has to do with the balance and cr- I'll call it crunch parts. But one of the things I picked up on what Jeff said was um, this idea of a satisfying ending for the characters. And I feel like once you've gotten to that level, it's hard to write a generic adventure that feels satisfying anyway, because there's so much history between those characters and things that are going to only really be for your particular table
2: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely it's kind of it's kind of like if you think about um you know it's almost like parallel universes right comparing different DD groups running through the same adventure because you know uh, take uh uh, regidemons out the abyss for an example at the very beginning they're in a setting where there's loads of other npcs that they could latch onto or fall out with and stuff and one group will go down one path of these branching decisions and another one in session one might decide oh, I I don't like this little mushroom guy at all I'm I'm not going to spend any time with him and that's t- taking them down a totally different path and and Tracy's absolutely right you can't you can't predict those I mean saying the obvious for D&D right you cannot predict what the players are going to do
0: well and I, and I so, would even argue like it is appropriate when you get to the the especially when you get to level 15 plus um your adventures should be not even just world shaking but like universe-shaking events, right? You are dealing with the gods themselves. And there's a degree to which I could see, like, Wizards is publishing adventures that really matter to the setting. But at the point that you're running to 20th level and you're talking about destroying pantheons, you know, the uh, kind of thing, that may be more change than they're willing to do, especially after the blowback when they did some of that in fourth edition with the Forgotten Realms, right? <laughs> so...
3: Yeah, th- there's always the there's always the lore people you have to make sure are are pleased with your addition. Uh, otherwise, we go down the the 40 path of you changed our world. It is the worst thing I've ever seen, and then you have to deal with that. But I think if you if you wrap it back to an unsatisfying ending, one thing that you can do as a DM is very at the very start of your first session zero of your campaign, ask the players. What is the exit strategy for your character, regardless of what adventure we play? Mm -hmm. What would be a satisfying ending for your particular character? If you keep that in mind, then you can start to weave that into the adventure on your own. So when the adventure ends, you can hit that happy place for each character. So it does feel like things are wrapping up, Mm -hmm. even if the plot of the adventure itself isn't completely satisfactory.
0: Yeah, and, or at the very least, like a lot of the adventures, um, the published adventures have started at least having little sort of epilogues at the end being like, and here are some other things that you might do if you need. So, And, and you could throw in not a full arc, but maybe a few more levels just to wrap up the player stories and what have you. And I'm, I'm hearing at the very least whether – we decide to hold publishers of adventures accountable to this or not, is not really the issue, right? But, but that at the point that you get to, to 12 plus, 15 plus levels, um, the story should shift to being both massive and very focused on the stories of the characters. Uh, and so that's harder to publish for, but a DM still has to run that game. Right, they yeah. still they still have to keep that campaign going, uh, and so Sam suggested that you could just you, homebrew completely from then on. Uh, maybe tag in some some modules here and there, and then the question becomes: How do you take those modules and and ramp them up to being level appropriate, um, or? Um, start the campaign from the beginning as sort of a mashup of of modules and and stretch them out over a longer period of time. I've actually done both. My last campaign was me mashing up a bunch of modules and it lasted through – it was at least 18 levels, maybe 20. Uh, and my current campaign is is the other one where we've done one we've done another and now I'm sort of homebrewing and, and bringing in elements from other stories um, to make it work uh, for a higher levels but I'm curious what you all think uh, in terms of
2: solutions yeah I think we kind of uh, we've sort of touched on the main things that I I would consider already so I think it's inevitable at this point that you in your campaign, you're going to have to do some kind of homebrewing, especially because of the individual characters. So I think the first thing is, you know, when we think about D&D or really any role playing game, what's the one element of them that's entirely distinct from the mechanics, from the crunch, from the levels? It's it's the role playing element. Right. It doesn't matter if you're level one or level 20 your role-playing is, is still the same. You know, you, you've still got the same kind of backstories to interact with and that sort of thing. So I would, like Sean was saying, think about and talk to your players about what arc, what personal arcs their characters want to go through and what would be a satisfying journey for them to undertake. And and it, that, after the campaign is finished, as it were, that's the perfect time to be thinking about, you know, how can I move their personal stories forward and beyond what we've already already achieved essentially so take maybe even take some time to reread the character backstories and see oh is there anything actually that i've missed here that i could throw in and if you want to if you can find a module maybe a module from an old edition because then players are going to be potentially less familiar with it is there any way i can kind of link these bits together so an example would be in in my own game when I, i ran call from the deep one of my um, players was looking to, uh, I guess, come to some accord with their brother who'd turned to a dark side, kind of a typical D&D story. Um, and in order to do that, they needed a specific magic item. So I was just thinking, you know, where can I find high level adventures that are based around magic items being stored away and so for me white blue mountain was the obvious choice you know it's a it's a it's a complicated adventure so even if the mechanical elements aren't necessarily high level the fun of it is actually in working it out at the table anyway and finding those kind of modules where especially puzzles and stuff tend to be kind of level neutral it's about utilizing those kind of things that you can get away with no matter what level the characters are at i think
1: Mm.
0: yeah that's actually um similar, you're talking some similar advice to what I'm doing actually right now with my current campaign, right? So we ran uh, Dragon Heist and then we ran um, Curse of Strahd and I figured, and and one of the things I, I would add to the advice is look at this story that you've told so far and figure out, you know, where the natural next steps are, right? So I mashed up Dragon Heist and Curse of Strahd and I said, well, you know, in the Amber Temple you got all these these dark powers and they're the real villains of ravenloft right of barovia um, they're the big big bad evils of the, of the whole thing and one of them one of those sarcophagi is broken one of them's already escaped well, I've said that happened 2,000 years ago in the realms, the last time Strahd was defeated and the Amber Temple along with the rest of Barovia was brought back to – it used to sit in the Valley of Waterdeep right there with the castle up on Mount Waterdeep uh, and and the one that broke out chose its champion and that is Halaster, Black Cloak uh, of Waterdeep, right? And So he's just been biding his time this whole time and waiting for Barovia to return again. And as soon as it does, he breaks out all of the dark powers, and they fly all over the all over Faerun, and they all choose champions, and now that's the the third act, right? I I took the existing story and I said, okay, so so let's just bring this to its natural evolution and see where it goes, right? And then I decided one of them is um, is where I'm following Josh's advice here is is. I, did, I looked at my own players, and one of them had this backstory that sort of had come up in role play of his family. Uh, he's a ghostwise halfling uh, from Methwood, way over on the other side of the of the continent, right? Uh, and his family, his wife and child, were were killed by the necromancer. Just some random necromancer. It was never really detailed. He didn't know what was going on, and that's what set him on the path to becoming an adventurer. Comes up every now and then in role playing, but hasn't really been dealt with. And so I said, okay. This is the time to deal with that. That necromancer has been chosen as a champion of one of the dark powers. Now you've got to go deal with that. What am I going to do? I I don't know. Here's what I'll do. And so I'm yanking the entirety of the dungeon from Tomb of Annihilation and I'm saying the necromancer – was a Sararak all along, and now you've got to go to the tomb uh, of the nine gods from Tomb of Annihilation and deal with that. And and that brings in your puzzle point. Like the combats in Tomb of Annihilation end up being so far. We're only two sessions into the, the dungeon; they're a cakewalk, right? The, the players are having no problem wiping out uh, tomb guardians and and what and the dwarves and whatever, right? They're they're not a threat. Um, but they're still real jumpy. Every time there's another puzzle or a trap, or you know, they they're poking everything with their ten foot poles. They're level thirteen and they're poking things with ten foot poles because you know, <laughs> they're all a little on edge about the whole thing still. Um, and so that's that's sort of how I've done that, right? I, I took what existed, I drew it out to its natural conclusion, right? Uh, Descent into a I told I said that it has. Maybe this might have been pre-recording, but I said that it has one possible ending that is a satisfactory sort of conclusion for the characters. But if that's not the one that happens, there are natural sort of conclusions to that. Figure out what those, wh- where that would go and continue the campaign from there. Um, you know, yeah, you, you saved El but nothing else was accomplished. What are you going to do now? Right. Um, yeah. there's all kinds yeah, of places um, you can go.
3: Sean, a lot of the published adventures do have sort of, you know, they have some hints but it's definitely not enough for especially uh, you know a beginner DM to, to run from this one paragraph of, here's what might happen next. Uh, one thing that I've liked to do in the past is people seem to gravitate or like stories where there is sort of a repetition, where they go back and revisit what they've done before, but it's new and twisted. So if you can find a way to, during that last battle, Something happens and the characters are, they, they fail, but they have to go back and they have to sort of go through some scenes again that they've already done. They have to go back to the dungeon that they were in. And now there's new monsters, but... What they did before informs what story you lay in front of them going forward. So you get to, oh, this is where the the rogue backstabbed the the big bad guy hmm. and killed him in a round. Well, now uh, it's the rogue that gets backstabbed. Yeah, you and know, just so it one it increases the length of your story. Two, it gives you that repetition that that people love in their stories, and harkens back to things that happened. It's hard though as the DM because then you have to remember what happened. You have to sort of take notes and you have to be ready to do that. But when you do that, you have all the maps already. You have all the monsters already. You have the tools that you need. You just need to put those stories together now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, on a similar note, um, it's it's not that easy, I think even for beginner DMs, to scale up existing 5th material. You know, it, it, a lot of the time the guidance is there so if you look in the dungeon masters guide it does provide um you know just generic dcs for stuff if if we're starting at the real basics you know you can see it's pretty easy to scale up a trap just by increasing the damage increasing to hit bonuses and increasing safe dcs and that sort of stuff is is provided for you in the dungeon masters guide and especially in xanathar's guide if you've got it um and then with monsters I'm a big fan of uh, reflavoring, and I think this is something I really learned from Mike and Mike's book. Is, you know, just if it says Tomb Guardian, fine, describe it as a Tomb Guardian, but yeah, just use the Tarasque stats if that's what you need to do. That's
0: quite the upgrade.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But the, the, a lot of the time, the players aren't going to notice at all. And even if they do notice, are they really going to care? I don't I don't think so, because really what we're doing is investing ourselves in a narrative, right? I think most groups care more about the narrative than they do about the stats. So I think as long as you've got that kind of buy-in from your group, they're not going to mind if you're running a CR-30 monster instead of like a CR-7 one.
0: And, the, and on, so honestly, and so, so we're talking about going into homebrew... At the later levels, anyway, mm. um, I, I I can say because as somebody who doesn't ever publish anything, right? I don't really care. About the balance and all that, because if it if uh, if I end up picking things and it's wrong, I'll, I'll, I can I can I can fudge it at the table and I can make it work. Right? If it's too weak and I need it stronger, I can make it stronger. If it's too strong and I need it weaker, I'll make it weaker. I can do that on the fly at the table pretty quickly and easily. That's not you know. And honestly, like when I get when I'm running uh, the the dungeon from Tomb of Annihilation with my group right now, and the the fights are all. Cakewalks for him. I'm kind of okay with that too. Like you've gone through a lot, you've become very accomplished. Like it's okay to feel competent. Like let, let him walk over uh the Tomb Guardians. Like, I don't need them to be the terras because the dungeon is hard enough with the puzzles and the traps, and then at the end when you when you know a Sarah shows up and whatever. Like there's enough Troubled there. I I don't need the fights to be balanced. Uh, I'm okay letting them feel accomplished and competent and all those kinds of things. Um, That's fine. And that's honestly one of the things that you play higher level D and D for, in my opinion. Like uh, when when Sean says high level D and D gets stupid, uh, what I'm really hearing, and I I know what you mean, uh, but what I'm really hearing is high level D and D becomes D and D superheroes, and that is a style of game that I'm here for. Like I've run it enough that that I. I enjoy that kind of game.
3: Yeah. And, and uh, that's, if you enjoy that kind of game, that is great. But the, 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 you know, I, I say it, you know, laughingly, D and D is stupid. High level D and D is stupid. Uh, But it's, it's all about the balance, right? It's all about as a designer, it gets stupid. (laughs) Uh, You know, as the DM, like you said, you could do whatever you want. You can adjust things on the fly. And that's where the DM becomes most important uh not just as you know a narrative uh facilitator but as an actual adjuster of the mechanics to make it work for your particular group
2: yeah and and trusting yourself as well by the time you've played through first to 12th or first to 15th you're going to have a handle on it so i think to new DMs who are just starting off with level one characters, the idea of playing 18th level is terrifying. Like, I, I definitely, speak <laughs> for myself, it was. When I first started DMing, you know, I, I was flying by the seat of my trousers. I, I didn't know what I was doing. But once you've got to 10th level, you kind of understand how all the bits fit together, and and it's not going to be so daunting once you're there. It, I think a lot of the time it will feel like just a natural extension of what you've already put in, in place.
0: Well, and when you... And there's a there's a like the the email originally that originally came in about this was uh, somebody running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and not wanting to stop at level eleven or twelve or whatever it is, um, and there is potential epilogue hooks for Rhyme of the Frost Maiden in particular that I find to be per- particularly interesting. That might lead you to a nice deep dive into the lore of the setting and, and fun and interesting wacky things that you could do. And I and I've I've been giving the advice for for I don't know it's been a long time a decade now that like are you going to mess up the the setting? Are you going to screw something up and change the setting and make it non canonical? Yeah, and own that. Like that's the point. Like this is your setting now. Blow it up and and make it your own. Like don't care about how you're going to mess it up and, and, oh, no, but now I've changed something and this god is gone or this pantheon is gone or this city doesn't exist. Yeah, who cares? Whatever. That's your story. <laughs> in your version of the setting, that's the way it is now. Or not. Mm-hmm. You can change it back next time you start another campaign. Uh, you know, uh, so so that's all like – and the the, the epilogue to, to Rhyme of the Frostman has particular in, uh, potential to do that, right? And I, and I say embrace it own it and, and move forward with it and have fun with it and do the research and dig into the weird little corners of things that haven't been thoroughly explored that could be in really fun ways. Um, I think that's a lot of fun. We've talked also, also a lot about playing things off of, of your characters, uh, your players' backstories and tying up their loosens and whatever. And I think the it can be easy to sort of zoom in on a few key – players or characters in that situation uh, and I encourage everybody to, to not just focus on those few, right? Also, think about the loose ends that might exist for other characters, right? I've, tr- I've tried to in my current campaign, I'm into the homebrew third act as I call it um, and I have tried to throw in a little something for every character, Right? There's a little, you know, the one character who has had a rival that's shown up going back to third level and keeps popping up and just won't die. He was, of course, chosen as one of the champions and it was one of the first ones they fought. So she got to have a a satisfying conclusion of finally beating that guy. What she doesn't know is that, you know, these are evil, dark powers of undeath. There's no way he's staying dead just because they defeated him. So he's also going to come back as their last uh, opponent to defeat, but she doesn't know that yet. and then I've got the one guy who's the necromancer from his backstory, and so we're dealing with that, and that's a serac And I've got the one player who's the the paladin of Torm, who's who's been you know who's got a a mentor who got lost and whatever. Uh, they found him in actually in Barovia, and now he's going to head off to Eltaral and, and help with the fight there because Gargoth, the hidden lord of, in the shield from uh, Descent into Avernus, is one of the the champions of the dark powers. I've decided, and they're going to defeat him by trapping him in the shield, setting things up for a later campaign in Descent into Avernus. And uh, but but that's you know him r- rushing to the aid of of his paladin order and and what you know so so I've I've tried to even if it's a little bit if it's a little bit pat, right? It feels a little bit contrived. Oh, we have all these dark powers and each one of us has one that happens to be sort of connected to each of us. You know what? If if we were running campaigns three times a year, that might feel formulaic, but given that these things take 2 years to run a lot of times uh, or more, like lean on those tropes, you know, <laughs> use the formulas because they work.
3: Right. I mean, we can't sit here and say formulaic is bad when we're running essentially you know the same two stories over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again right like like you said formulas work you know my point is if you're a dm and you get to you take a party from first level to 12th level through an adventure and they still want to play congratulations you've done a great job and you know what you're doing because you have people that want come back and want to keep playing. Mm-hmm. So trust yourself to keep going in whatever direction you feel like it. Because, you know, I know a lot of campaigns that, I yeah, you know, because I run them that no one wants to play. No. <laughs> um, you know, that you, you, you get to the end of the story and they're like, okay, we're fine. We're ready to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- another thing to think of is, do the players want to keep going because the story is... Um, doesn't feel like it's over or it's because those characters don't feel like they're over. If it's because they want more story, the, those that point about NPCs, you can go back to first level and start with them playing these NPCs that they've come to know and love. And you're continuing the campaign just with different characters. So that, that's another way to do it where you don't necessarily need to go on to 13th, 14th, 15th and higher. And then you have plenty of campaigns to choose from uh, to go from there.
0: Yeah, although the, the, those other campaigns, main, like I'm thinking of uh, Storm King's Thunder, right? Storm King's mm-hmm. Thunder comes to a. Like the, it's one of my critiques of Storm King's Thunder. It, it is an adventure all about dealing with the aftermath of the craziness of the destruction of the Ordning. And at the end, right. you don't really deal with the destruction of the Ordning at all, <laughs> right? Yes. So you could definitely start over at level one and have new characters dealing with the Ordning itself uh, right. in a way that that campaign doesn't, but then you're still homebrewing. You can't really run an existing campaign that then addresses that you can steal things from, from other campaigns. Sure. Right, um, right. but you're going to, you're still going to have to make your own story, which at that point, maybe you're ready to do that because you've run a published adventure. You're ready to sort of flex your creative muscles.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let's say so. I think, um, Another thing is, you know, like we're talking about celebrating those features of of high level D&D, you know, let them have a cakewalk, let them show off their powers. And I think um, something you can do if you are looking to actually play at those high levels is just basically throw in the kitchen sink. You know, there are there are monsters and there are magic items that are high level and you look at them and you think this is ridiculous. You know, how could I ever put this into my campaign and have it make any sense? Well, once you get to those higher levels and you're thinking about extra planar entities and all that kind of stuff, just just throw it in. Find any any kind of contrived reason will do because what's more interesting is the, the thing itself. You know, the classic example, I suppose, is the deck of many things. People look at that and they think, this thing's crazy. It's it's broken. You see that so often. This, <laughs> uh, this magic item is broken. Well, yeah, I think that's kind of the point. You know, <laughs> you, it's there to be played with. It's there to mess up your campaign. And Sure, you probably don't want to do that when they're going through the the meat and the bones of it, but actually once they're coming out the tail end and, and everything's starting to wrap up, well, give them fun toys to play with. And that can come in the form of giving them magic items, but it can also come in the form of giving them challenges that are just totally off the wall and you wouldn't normally expect to have in your encounters. Absolutely. I have
1: a, I have a bit of a weird question. Do we have examples of stories outside of games that are adventures that were written of stories where we think characters had a good end. And then what could we use from that to to help DMs?
0: Yeah, I I I mean, I think if you're talking in terms of of books and movies and TV shows, other than the ones that get prematurely canceled, um, they, they tend to, I mean, because they're focused entirely on sort of creating a satisfying narrative arc that they tend to, to do that, which is why it sometimes feels unfinished in a campaign, because you don't get the same sort of satisfying arc that right. uh, a movie or a TV show or a book does. Um, that
3: again, how, how many times have we watched the final episode of a long series and everyone hates it? Yeah, no, no matter what it is, because it's the end. Uh, yeah, is it human nature that we just don't want it to end? I don't know. Well,
1: And the other thing I'm thinking about are things like Wheel of Time where we start off and there actually are characters that are pretty high level that we don't know are high level because it's not really their story. And it's like if we ever end it with them, it would probably feel it could potentially feel unsatisfying Mm -hmm. um, with that.
0: Yeah. yeah and that that's a good point right is that a lot of times the the popular culture stories that we have the stories might have a satisfying ending, but even then they're not focused on the high level characters right We don't necessarily have a super satisfying ending of Gandalf's story. We have a satisfying ending of Frodo's story, and he's not high level you know yeah. <laughs> um, so 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 yeah, I mean you're right there could there be do we need another chapter describing what happens to Gandalf? Probably not, because he's not the point of the story. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, I think uh, that's a very interesting point, actually, is that sometimes, well, I think probably quite a lot, the more I think about it, the more I realize this to be true, is that the the character arcs and the narrative arcs that we see in you know books, fiction, whatever, aren't, they, they aren't really coded in the same way as Dungeons & Dragons campaigns or role-playing game campaigns because, yeah, you know, Frodo doesn't become this you know, amazing sword wielding, you know, he's, he doesn't turn into a 20th level monk and start bouncing off the walls of Mount Doom, you know, he just, he just goes home afterwards. And that is the, that is the satisfying kind of arc of it all. And I think, you know, maybe it is hard to find examples in the books we read and the films we watch and TV. It is hard to find examples of characters really levelling up, levelling up, levelling up and then getting to this amazing state and then just saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm done now. This is fine. You know, I think... Yeah, it's a hard question actually.
0: I mean, there are some if you if you focus on D&D stories or D&D novels specifically that you can definitely see some arcs like that. Like you can you can watch raceland level up through the Dragonlance series. At the same time, you also have some where you can watch Drizzt level up. till about 12 or 13 and then he stops, right? He's been 12 or 13th level for Twenty books now, you know, because that's sort of the meat and potatoes of where Bob wants to tell those stories.
1: Uh, Yeah, and and that just makes me wonder. And I did not prepare this line of thinking at all for this episode. Is would it make sense to go talk to the folks that did? Was it the Marvel one, the Cortex Plus superheroes game? Because one, I know one of the problems they had faced was the fact like, how do you have Basically, his characters are already powerful. They have superheroes have their power already, and how do you tell a compelling story once they've gotten to that level? Which sounds like a similar problem to hear.
0: Yeah, no, I I was thinking about that as as we've been talking about this. Is that you know, I read a lot of comics, and in a comic book story, like you can have high level, you know, Superman stories or whatever that, that that come. To a satisfying narrative arc. Now we know because it's Superman and he's been constantly in publication for almost 100 years that they're going to be telling more stories and that the story's not over, over right. Uh, but at least that narrative comes to to a satisfying conclusion. And I think you can borrow some of that from a little bit of you know a little bit of Superman here, a little bit of uh, you know Dragonlance there, and, and come up with a style of storing that, story that works in a D and D campaign because ultimately playing a campaign in a role playing game is different than reading a book or, or watching a movie or whatever. Right. So the stories, the narratives have to function differently as well.
3: Yeah. You have those pesky players who keep getting involved, (laughs) (laughs) but it it, it may not hurt to, at the end of the campaign to have sort of a session zero 2.0 and say, all right, we finished this campaign where from here do you want to go? And that can help you if the players say, you know, we're 13th level. We just want to see what our 20th level characters can do. Just have them create 20th level characters and run some one long madcap 20th level session to let them use all their powers. And maybe that's, that's the conclusion they actually want. And then, then you don't have to create, a level 14 to 19 set of adventures on your own you can just create that 120th level madcap romp and and let it happen yeah sure
0: and a lot of times a lot of times you'll hear that from players who haven't played high level very much and there's a lot of them mm-hmm. oh yeah they just want to see what high level play is like uh right. and and at that at that case i would almost even recommend like from my experience, because I've done some, some, you know, I think every all of my campaigns in the last decade or two have finished at level twenty or thirty ish, depending on which edition I'm playing, right? Um, and 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 I always build my campaigns with the end in mind because I want to, I know I want to be aiming towards this narrative arc, and so I sort of. Before I even introduce session zero, I already have the final scene in my head, uh, and that helps me build some narrative consistency uh, towards a goal. Um, but, but yes, yeah, so, but but so I've played at that high level before, and I would almost argue like if you if your characters feel like they've reached a satisfying conclusion in terms of story, and you've got that itch to play high level play, it's not necessarily the best idea to then. Just level up those characters to level 20 and play them because it kind of takes away from this satisfying ending that you had. You know, just make new characters, run your level 20 one shot or two shot or whatever. Uh, Get that experience, uh, scratch that edge and see what that's like, right? Have fun with that. But it doesn't have to be a continuation of the characters because that's a lot harder to pull off without diminishing the narrative arc that you've already concluded
2: with.
3: Yeah. It, again, it depends on the players. It depends on the DM. But I could, t- I could totally see that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I will, if it's all right, I'll just give a little. I guess it's kind of a plug because I am involved tangentially with it. Um, if it is really the the players wanting to experience the mechanical side of things rather than the narrative side of things, you know, have a look on DM skill because there are supplements there that go up above i mean I, I want to give a special shout out to um mark out dish and uh quill, quill and cauldron who do they have epic characters is the name of this supplement which is actually 20th to 30th level you know they've mm-hmm. they've gone outside the bounds of what's published within within 5e and they've tried to continue it and make it interesting and you know it it's a it's a totally different style of play you know don't expect to come into it feeling the same way as you feel in 12th level. But if you want to go up and above and just continue that power escalation, you know, there's there's stuff out there. Mm-hmm. It's not official, but it's, you know, it's it's well-researched, it's well-developed. There's stuff out there that you can use to help you do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that goes, I mean, that's been happening in gaming in D&D specifically for a, di- a long time, right? I have th- somewhere, I have this old gold, cover, uh, almost pamphlet style book from second edition that was about what do you do after 20th level that eventually makes you a God? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Sean has that, that knowing look on his face. Do you know which, which,
3: I I'm I, about? I don't know the name of the book, okay. but I know exactly what you're yeah. talking
0: about. And in third edition, I think it was the epic level handbook sort of did the epic same level thing. Handbook. Uh, yep. so, so this is a thing that people have been doing in D and D for a long time. And, uh, uh I should set, give a shout out to, uh, is it 2c gaming um does a series of high level um products as well and is having nice. some good luck with that so
2: well it's even to some extent it's, it's even covered a little bit in the dungeon master's card. you know there is a section in the dmg about epic boons and talking about playing beyond 20th level there is support for it and you know i think i hate to loop background but i do think it's the case that most people just aren't really that interested in doing super high level dnd because it doesn't it doesn't really feel the same, I don't think. It's a kind of different game of its own.
3: I yeah, think and I, we found that. with fourth edition, I think we found that. You know, each tier was sort of its own, its own game. Special snowflake, yeah.
0: But especially the yeah. epic tier. Um I mean you could you could oh. follow the, the evolution from first tier to second tier sort of made sense. Uh, and then, and then that third tier was to like, okay, now you now we, we are into superhero gaming in a way that we haven't been before. Right. So, and I think uh, you, we, you, I think it was Sean mentioned the idea of having sort of a session 0 2.0 after you finish a, a, a narrative arc um, to say, so, okay, so where are we at, and and where do you want to go, and what's happening here? And I think that's, I think that. That belies the the ever-existing advice of make sure you're keeping open lines of communication. Make sure you're talking to each other and that you know – like I have um, – with that same character that I mentioned before that has this rival that keeps coming back over and over again. Um, she also has this narrative arc of she is a tiefling who's actually from this uh, and her – in her backstory, her soul is already promised to – uh, dispater or whoever, um, and so she's got this other storyline of like I, but I, I don't want to go. <laughs> like I don't want my soul to go there, but it's it's like ironclad, so to speak. What am I going to do? I can't get out of this. And so she's got this other story arc going on and these other goals going on. And I've I've made sure as we've gotten into the last few months here as as we're wrapping up Curse of Strahd in this and we're getting digging into more of their personal stories as well. uh, I've been talking to her a lot about like, okay, so how satisfying of a conclusion to this story would it be if that specific thing never paid off? Because I could totally see using her as an NPC wandering around in Avernus when we get to Descent into Avernus, still looking for a way to, to break that contract. You know, now she's gone back to hell to do it. Um, and, and so um, I, I just – but I'm keeping the lines of communication open with her. Like, OK, I, I understand. Like, what are the important parts you want to hit? And which parts can we maybe not hit and make sort of the epilogue of the story, you know? And then years later, she was still doing these things sort of thing. Uh, And and that's okay too. Like, uh, as I think Tracy was pointing out earlier with a lot of books and and novels and whatever, like uh, books and novels are the same thing, books and movies and TV shows and that kind of stuff, right, Uh, is that sometimes you can hit a, a satisfying ending to a story that doesn't actually tie up all the loose threads like it's okay like okay this story is done we're not going to hear any more about this character and then they rode off into the sunset to to deal with all these other things going on in their lives and we don't have to know how that goes sometimes that but 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 the players have to know that or feel like that's going to be satisfying for them as well
2: yeah i think you know a dm is expected to wear a lot of different hats but the one hat they don't need to wear is that of the psychic, right? You should just just ask. Ask and you shall receive, as it was. You know, I think as long as you're as you're open with your players, and as long as you've got a good dialogue with them, they'll let you know what they want. They they, they might just say vague vagaries, you know, like oh, we just want more. <laughs> but at least that's something, you know. You you have an idea from them of what it is they're looking for, whether it's the narrative, whether it's the mechanical. You know, you'll get a feeling for how they want things to flow, and and what yeah. As we've been saying, kind of from the beginning, what's going to be a satisfying end for their character?
3: Yeah, one of the things that we did when we wrote uh, the Acquisitions Incorporated hardcover was try to get the DM to ask the players what they want in terms of downtime and franchise activities for that book, because. Getting that dialogue going isn't something that just happens at the beginning or the end of a session or the beginning, the end of the campaign. It's something that should be constantly going. And it doesn't have to always be what do you want to do, but it can be just presenting a bunch of options and seeing which ones they take. And you can then see what either the player themselves or the character themselves wants when they uh, make these Choices. Uh when I was running my campaign set in the acquisitions incorporated world, uh, it turned out that the downtime was the, their favorite part. And yeah. they would spend more time doing downtime activities and making business deals than they did actually adventuring. And when we finished the campaign, they wanted to go to a new setting, but they still wanted to do the downtime and the business things in Icewind Dale. So, you know, that. <laughs> The, the They just wanted that, that feeling replicated in a new campaign. So it was very easy to stop at seventh level there, go to this new place, but keep that same tone because the tone was what they were looking for rather than the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, it, it occurs to me that we are, let's see, 52 minutes into the recording. And one of the main things that the original email I was asking about was how do you adapt things? Like we talked a lot about how to homebrew things. Uh, for the higher level play and for the continued campaign, uh, but we haven't talked much about how do you adapt existing modules, whether it's mashing them up together or just stacking them one right after another. Um, and, like, and I mentioned that I've done both. Right, my, I talked about my current campaign where I ran Dragon Heist, I ran, then I went into Curse of Strahd, and now I'm into the homebrew section. But I'm absolutely like I'm not making all of that up. I'm just I'm ripping that dungeon right out of. Um, Tube of Annihilation, and I've got a a potential seat out there for Dungeon of the Mad Mage if they want to dive down and find Hallister and deal with that. I don't know if they ever will, but that's an option they have. A, you know, so I'm am stealing things from modules that I don't think I'll ever get a chance to actually run with them, but I can totally like just rip a thing out of it and use it. Right. Uh, that said, there there is the question then of balance. So, like balance is relatively easy right now. The dungeon in Tomb of Annihilation is is a death trap dungeon. It is intended to be very difficult and deadly. So the fact that they're level 13 going into it, I'm just sort of leaving it as is because maybe it won't quite be so deadly and... and that that'll fit well right and, and we'll see if i as they go deeper if i need to make it change some dcs or whatever um but if they get to level 18 and i'm tearing a dungeon out of another adventure or i'm tearing a, a bad guy out of another adventure or whatever there might be some consideration for okay but how do i pump that up and make that appropriate any thoughts on that
3: i think josh already said that reskinning is the dm's best friend Right, you could you can stick any monster in any place and just uh, change its name, change its appearance, but all the attacks are the same, uh, all the DCs are the same, and uh, the the Dungeon Master's Guide and Xanathar's does a good job of talking about traps and how to you know how to balance those in terms of damage and and difficulty classes. So, uh, I don't think that is as hard a lift as creating your your own uh, story from scratch for sure. And and the other thing I think is. That we are blessed to have a hobby where, you know, a, the big bad dude, dudette, is, is evil and they're trying to overthrow the world in this adventure and that adventure and that adventure and in that adventure. So, you know, sw- swap them out. They're trying to overthrow the world. They're probably in some sort of dungeon. It's, it's not a terrible stretch of the imagination to figure out how that all fits with the story that you're telling.
0: And one of the things I'm doing is I'm specifically like – when I'm figuring out what other kinds of stories to tell in this third act, um, I'm thinking about the kinds of stories that have been told. And trying to do something different, right? We did the urban investigation. We did the the gothic horror. Now let's do a death trap dungeon. Uh, one of the locations I've got plans for pulling out the the Unearthed Arcana mass combat rules, and let's let's play with that and see how that works. You know, let's just do some different things so that it doesn't feel too monotonous. It's we're always sort of experimenting and experiencing different things as well, and that can. Um, that can address some of the the higher level as you're bringing in other modules, as you're adapting them. Like, look for things that are a little bit different than what you've been doing. Like, I don't know that I would, um, well, I mean, there's, a, as I say, I don't know that I would rip sections out of uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden right after running Curse of Strahd because it's kind of horror into a slightly different version of of, of isolation and horror. But at the same time, like, the end of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden actually rips out really well and, and gets applied to other places uh, and I think is it is different enough because um, it's not really that isolation horror sort of story at that point um, that there are some places where you can do that
2: I know we, we kind of touched on this sorry we touched on this a little bit earlier but think about um, what will work well so we we talked about puzzles earlier puzzles kind of work well at any level but there are other examples of things. You know, a murder mystery will work just fine at any level, really. It, it's The process is just the characters discovering clues and then and, and solving the mystery, right? So in terms of that in comparison to a big trap-filled dungeon, it's going to be easier to run because you don't have to change quite so much. It's kind of about the, the process of role-playing through it more than it is you know making the the ability checks to find certain clues and stuff so i'd i'd encourage people to think about what's going to be easiest for them to convert to high level because this it's not always there's a bit of a disparity i think between different styles
0: well and i would argue that I'd be wary, I guess, a little bit of like converting over the murder mystery because when you get to higher level play, you're throwing out high level divination spells that just yeah. give you the answer, right? don't <laughs> yeah, don't be prepared for that. Like if you're going to tell that kind yeah. of a story, you got you got to pull some tricks to make it work. Uh, it's yeah, not just t- to
3: be honest. At this point, at low level, they have all those tricks anyway. Right? A yeah. lot of them. <laughs> you have characters that can read minds at first level. <laughs> <All right. laughs> So, yeah, it's you have to be careful no matter what when you mm-hmm. do murder mysteries.
0: Now, yeah. the other thing that, that Sam, the original emailer, uh, brought up is actually the other thing that I've done, right? Um, and I've talked about this a lot on Behind the DM Screen, and so people who've w- listened to that are familiar with my previous campaign, my last campaign in uh, before I moved from North Carolina here to Indiana, uh, where we ran level 1 through 20 but it was a. It was basically me saying, "I'm never going to get a chance to run a bunch of these adventures." And they all kind of. There's several of them that kind of deal with this horrible evil that was so bad that all of the gods, both good and evil, had to team up on them to trap them, right? And so, and so, I decided that I was going to have. Um, uh, what was it, uh, Out of the Abyss and Princes of the Apocalypse and then I took the second edition Rod of Seven Parts module and I just said Miska and done are actually the same entity with different names uh, and that the reason the Demon Lords were unleashed on in, in the Underdark was because um, Miska slash Thera's agents were like, we need to keep all the heroes busy with some really big thing. Well, we're dealing with trying to free Miska, right? Uh, and, and that ended up being a one to 20 campaign that worked because I took them all and I sort of mashed them up. And there were some spots where they were maybe a little, a, a, a level or two ahead of where the book said they should be. And you just sort of, you fudge the numbers. I got some great advice actually on behind the DM screen from Mike Shea um, from Sly Flourish. A um, little plug for Mike, even though he's not here, uh, uh, where where he he talked about like his, they were – the first few times they ran into demon lords, like it wasn't enough of a challenge for such a big deal. To, you're fighting a demon lord and, and it should have been harder, right? And he, and, and he pointed out the – first of all, the really simple advice of like um, the monster hit points that are listed are averages and it doesn't make sense to follow the averages if it's your big bad villain. And if there's only one Jewaiblex, ju- why why would they even list the a- the average? Give her the maximum hit points. She's the only Jewaiblex, right? Um, <laughs> and the other thing that that I really liked was um, instead w- when they have a multi attack listed, don't give them. Basically, it came down to this wasn't exactly what he said, but this is how I ran it and it worked. Uh, don't when it says multi attack, three attacks or whatever, don't make that three attacks. Make that just three separate actions so now that now they can attack attack and throw out a spell you know let the at least one don't maybe not let them have three spells or whatever right but let them throw out a spell or a a spell like ability every round because they're the big bad and they need to be doing crazy things and it's supposed to be tough and uh that advice worked really well in terms of scaling up um things because they were you know they were the thing that out of the abyss says was a 15th level final encounter they were like 17th level at the time so I needed to sort of push it. And, um, and and then converting the Ride of Seven Parts was easy because it's already a second edition adventure. So I was doing all the mechanical
2: stuff on that one as it was. So <laughs> Yeah. I, I think um, when it comes to my own personal DMing style, I, I, I take that a step further as well. Like, to me, a lot of the time, especially for, you know, big bads, they don't have hit points. They've got turns, right? They're going to be here for a number of turns. I don't really... I don't really mind how much damage the characters are doing. Like, even at low levels, I'm rounding it up to, you know, it's hard for me to do mental math. It's not my, it's not my big skill. So I'm rounding it to the nearest five, you know, I'm sorry, but
0: it's, you know, what would be really, you, you bring up that they don't have hit points, they have turns. It might be really interesting to say, you know, this villain has 20 turns, just ignore the hit points. They have 20 turns and every time it feels like you've done enough damage, they lose a turn. You know, they'll yeah. they'll die one turn earlier. Uh, you know, and so then you've got a, you're, you got like just a, a string of check boxes, and you're you're checking them off from the left to the right as the turns go by. You're checking them off from the right to the left as they do enough damage, uh, and you know until eventually, okay, this feels like a satisfying conclusion, and you've you've sl- you've slain the big bad. Um, yeah, let's
2: yeah. so all check. And off in that many last ways, box. in many ways, that's what that's kind of what hit points are anyway, right? We're we're giving them enough hit points to last long enough to do all their cool stuff. That's really, that I mean, when you look at, especially when you look at um, the rules, I'm going to put that in inverted commas, the rules, <laughs> the guidance, maybe for determining the challenge rating of a monster you've created yourself. You know, it's kind, it's kind of wonky. Um, a lot has been said about challenge rating and how it can kind of be a little bit misleading or it doesn't always hold up at higher levels. I mean, I know it, you have Mike, especially I know has gone off the rails on some stuff. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's tr- it's true. It's hard to balance these things at high levels so just do what feels narratively right and i think it's hard for new gms i think to get that into their head because they're they're thinking well hang on these are the rules these are the rules written in the book i'm gonna i'm gonna read the rules and follow the rules but you know as you become more experienced i think you you get to realize that everything needs to be bent to suit your group nothing is gonna work perfectly for everybody's group so adapt it You you have to adapt it i think
0: and I think that's an important advice, especially coming from people like you and Sean who are publishing material to hear that like what you have to do as publishers is different than what you expect DMs to be doing at their table. Like a published book, you, you, you need to fit it within the framework and within the mechanics that the game presents. But you also are telling people, but that doesn't mean that that's how you have to run it at your table. Like do what you need to do to make it satisfying
1: yeah i'm sorry
2: go on no no go
1: on i was gonna say i think um, i'm hearing from you guys a lot of it is more about that narrative and understanding that probably more than balance but if you're publishing you have to particularly for like adventures are great there's a lot of rules you have to fit in within um as you're doing stuff uh the other thing i was going to throw out to try to remember are like when they're at higher levels, they have ways of dealing with what we would typically consider balance issues like death and, and, and things like that. So those probably aren't the things that we're going to care as much about necessarily when we think of narrative balance. And then if we just let them have a cakewalk, uh, they're probably not going to feel that sense of fulfillment from the, the story they're playing in. And maybe that's where you start thinking about maybe I do make this encounter unbalanced, but they can still get a win Narratively for themselves, or they put something at risk that they then have to get back, and then they'll feel better about it, even though it was completely unfair. Any mechanical way, like crunch way, people would be like, "That's just why would you ever do that?" <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I mean, what makes D and D great and what makes D and D problematic is that constant tension between D and D as a storytelling vehicle and D and D as a game with a lot a lot of moving parts and a lot of mechanics and you know any designer any dm any player whether you know that's what you're feeling or not that's what you're feeling you're feeling that tension of player a wants just to look at his or her book and do by the rules player b wants to tell their story and that's all they want and right there, you're creating an almost untenable experience unless you are a DM that can really balance those two things. So it's always there; it's constantly there that tension.
0: You should yeah. you should like teach a class about game design. <laughs> you think?
3: <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll try that next week. Yeah, talk
0: to your talk to your local uh, college or university and see if they'll have a spot for you, huh? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> for people who don't know, Sean is uh, teaching a class. Uh, what at what which, which institution?
3: It's a Fredonia state university of New York.
0: There you go. So uh,
3: there you go. Awesome.
0: All right. So we have talked for well over an hour and I think we've hit the big questions that the email brought up and that I wanted to sort of discuss. Does anybody have, or who has last thoughts, things that you wanted to bring up that we haven't, that we haven't talked about yet?
2: I guess uh, just one tip, I suppose for, for high level play where it says, dc just just get rid of that bit just get rid of the save (laughs) if they touch the thing it kills them they've got they've got ways to solve it they'll be fine
0: well, you know what? Uh, again, I keep going back because I'm running it right now. The dungeon and Tomb of Annihilation, because it's a death trap dungeon, very much has that kind of thing, right? Yes. It's, it, there's a lot of stuff where it's just like, no, if you do it right, it goes fine. If you don't do it right, it goes poorly. And there's not a lot of hints about how to do it right. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you're just going to have to be powerful or lucky. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> sure.
3: and my, my last tip is if you're the DM, uh you will have as many solutions to your problem of continuing the campaign as you have players. So uh, make sure that you, you listen to your players, make sure uh, you start talking early, planning early for what you're going to do. So then you can drop those hooks in. If it's going to be a continuing campaign or a restart with different characters in the same world or whatever you're going to do. Uh, It's, it's an expectation that you can meet.
1: Perfect. And then, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say quickly too, because we talked earlier about the um, the two points that come into tension a lot. Another set that comes in this can come into tension are the um, people who want to be surprised and see something new and different, and not want to know what happens. Versus the people who, like we were saying earlier, want to tell a specific story and don't want to put that at risk. And understanding that as you're doing. The thing that Sean just said is probably pretty important too.
3: Yep. That's a great point. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think, A lot of that comes back to the idea of like keep those lines of communication going, keep talking to players and what have. Like the one character whose rival kept showing up, she had written a monologue of exactly how she wanted that final encounter to go, and it's not how things went. And she was, (laughs) but she and I were talking to the point that she was okay with that. Like she just likes to write; she likes the creative writing part of, and she's writing constantly. Like monologues and dreams that her character has and whatever. So she enjoyed writing that, even if that's not how it played out because she liked the surprise, but still having that status. Like I looked, I look at those things and say, okay, what is it that she really wants though? Like she wants to be able to like close the door on this chapter of her life and move on to trying to figure out what the next chapter of this character's life is. Uh, You know, and she, you know, she, there's these things that she's trying to accomplish and the specific opportunity to use this monologue that she wrote um, is not necessarily the important part. Um, and when he comes back as a giant slavering Armageddon beast that I've gotten from the Book of Fiends from Green Ronin um, <laughs> or Apocalypse Beast or whatever, that it, it, it's, the, oh, it's, it's insane. Um, that'll be satisfying as well, I think. <laughs> and, she, and she'll definitely be surprised. I hope she's not listening to this. Uh, <laughs> so, she right. Maybe she'll be surprised. Yeah, there you go. All right. So I think um, it's time to call this the end of the episode.
1: We'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, awesomedays.com, and to our guests. Sean, where can folks find you?
0: Uh, you can find
3: me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. I do a podcast. You can follow that on Twitter. It is now called Mastering Dungeons. Oh, uh, on Twitter, it's I introduced you, Mastering you wrong. DND. <laughs> That's okay. Sometimes I get it wrong, too. Okay. And you can follow my work uh, that will be, being more and more of it will be announced uh, on Ghostfire Gaming. So keep an eye on that.
1: Awesome, and Josh, where can folks find you?
2: Yeah, um, Twitter and Facebook, at JVC Parry, uh, my website, jvcparry.com, and my next um, solo project will be Peculiar Children, which is gonna be uh, a little indie micro RPG uh, for Zine Quest 3, um, and I think probably my next kind of freelance piece of work will be Wondrous Expeditions uh, from Smith. so keep your eyes open for that too.
0: Very good. You also awesome. you do some work with uh, Nord Games. I actually uh, I basically backed the Kickstarter for was it their crafting and alchemy uh, book just because I knew you were working on it, so I wanted that.
2: Oh wow! <laughs> thanks. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. It means a lot. Yeah, they're um, they're currently halfway through um, Dangerous Destinations. That's their current Kickstarter. So if you yeah, if you like Nord stuff, that's definitely the one to check awesome. out.
1: Awesome, and we'd also like to say thanks to all of you who support us by being patrons at patreon.com slash the show. and I I
0: it's been a while Uh, I realized as I was preparing the script for this that we haven't recorded a regular sort of numbered episode since October Um, so it's been a while since I've I've shouted out our patrons so we want to say thanks to some of our new patrons like Jeff Matthews uh, James D'Alessio Derek Heath as well as our uh, returning champions Doug Palmer Hyperlexic Jill Sanders Leonard Pelche, and Merrick Blackman uh, if you want to get a hold of the show, you can email the at gmail.com. That goes right to me. Uh, and so then I can get it to where it needs to go. Uh, you can also find Tracy on Twitter. She is at Sarah with an H dark magic. And you can find me. I am at Squatch S Q U A C H. And the show on Twitter is at the Tome show. Although that's mostly me. Although there's a few other people that post, uh, from there as well. But if you get a reply or a, a retweet, it's probably me. Uh, Yeah, so that's where to find us.
1: And that's episode 346, where we figured out how to make the story never end. Well, almost never. In this episode of... I'm on the wall.